Welcome to the 346th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Jessica Berry, author of the thriller novel, Don't Turn Around. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Jessica Berry, author of the new novel, Don't Turn Around, which is the follow-up to Jessica's best-selling debut novel, Free Fall, which was published last year. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, Don't Turn Around Yet, how would you describe the novel? So it is a propulsive thriller that is about two women who are in a car driving through the desert in the middle of the night. And as the reader, you don't know where they're going, how they know each other, what their final destination is. Um, but you know immediately that there is tension in the car, that they that the stakes feel high. And the stakes are raised further when out of the darkness, a pair of headlights appear And this truck begins a relentless pursuit of them. And at first, they sort of think that maybe it's just some teenagers having fun or like a road rage incident. And then it becomes very clear that the truck is out for blood. And then it's a very intentional attack. And from there, they have to figure out who might be behind the wheel and who might be trying to kill them. Wow. So do you remember the original idea that led you to write Don't Turn Around? (laughs) Yeah, so it was a couple of things. Um, I was living in London up until a year ago. And when I was in London, I didn't have a car because you don't really need a car in a major city. And also, like, I would not trust myself to drive on the left side of the road. So it was best for everyone involved that I didn't have a car. But when I moved um, back to the States, I'm in Maine, um, I realized that I needed a car. So I started driving again. And it had been the first time in 15 years that I'd, I'd driven. And I realized that, you know, what had been when I was a teenager, a really fun, carefree activity was suddenly fraught with danger. And I was really quite nervous about it. And that was heightened when I had this like really awful, um, quite random road rage incident where this guy thought that I'd cut him off, which for the record, I didn't. And he started following me and he followed me for like a good mile and ended up following me into a parking lot and was like throwing things at the car and shouting and just like really like being a jerk about the whole thing. And I was completely terrified and completely, I felt really powerless um, in a way that I think that I had previously associated driving with empowerment in a way, you know, like you're behind the wheel, you're in control of your environment Um, But really, it's actually quite a dangerous activity. And it's also one of those things where it only works if everyone is playing by the rules. And all it takes is for one person to um, pervert those rules for everything to go haywire. So I wanted to I wanted to kind of explore that feeling of that fraught feeling of of driving and particularly, uh, you know, in the case of don't turn around on this really like deserted road, no other cars, like middle of nowhere. And um, so that was kind of one of them. And then I also wanted to explore like how that, 
how that is if you're a woman in particular and how, you know, living, just existing as a woman is to deal with a kind of constant low level pervasive sense of danger um, where, you know, I don't remember how old I was when I first learned to like carry a pair of keys between my fingers if I was crossing a parking lot or make sure that I don't have music on if I'm walking home alone at night. But all of those little things that we do to adjust our environment and to try to keep ourselves safe. Um, that was another thing that I wanted to explore was that like, actually, like if somebody did try to come after you in this situation, it you wouldn't automatically likely know who it was because as a woman, you're constantly faced with pervasive danger. So using your own fears and I guess, unfortunately, the cultural issue of male violence to, to write a thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so what are your earliest memories of reading and books in your life? I think my, my most vivid memory is um, my mom used to take me to the library all the time. And it was just like my favorite place on earth. And I remember in particular um, the Nancy Drew section of the library. And we had this great library um, in my hometown. And they had every single one of the old Nancy Drews, like the originals in hardback. And I can still remember like the smell of them. And I can remember exactly where they were um, in the stacks and this kind of corner tucked away. Um, and I just piled through all of them. I mean, I was just like completely insatiable and it really, I had already fallen in love with reading, but I think that was the first, that was my first, um, like memorable experience of the addictiveness of it, of like finding an author and just being like, I want to read every single thing that they have ever written. Um, and really like that kind of sparking of joy. So that's probably like my earliest um, memory is good old, good old Nancy Drew. <laughs> so what was the path to publication for you to eventually write your own novels and your thrillers free fall and now don't turn around going from that uh, early experiences you just related with Nancy Drew. Had you always written um, after that or what, what led you to, to writing and now publication? No. So I have kind of a weird path to publication in that um, I never, I never, it's not that I didn't want to be a writer. I think I just didn't think that it was um, possible for me, I guess. Um, I wrote like, you know, terrible poetry in my teenage years, but other than that, I didn't really write at all. And I studied literature in university and for a master's. And I think that there is a thing, maybe it's just me, but I think there's a thing that like, if you study it, you feel like you can't, it like feels like it's up on a shelf that you can't reach and that you couldn't create it yourself. Um, and so I actually only started writing in my late twenties and it started because I, um, was newly single and was writing this dating blog 
um, to kind of keep myself entertained <laughs> as, I, <laughs> as I waded through the London dating scene. Um, <laughs> and I sort of, it was like, it was started, it was kind of a sort of a joke. And then I realized that actually, like, I, I preferred the writing of the blog to the actual dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's not a good sign. No, it's, it's not a great sign. <laughs> and then from there, I was very lucky in that um, a friend of a friend uh, read the blog and liked it and asked if I could try to um, try to write a novel. So I ended up writing a kind of rom-com novel um, that was based on the blog. And that was picked up by a publisher, uh, which was like just the most thrilling moment. I can still remember um, calling my mom in tears and telling her that I, I got this book deal because it just felt like completely surreal. Um, and then I wrote, I wrote three um, rom-coms that were published in the UK. And by that point, I, um, I was, you know, married and was in my, you know, mid thirties and was sort of, I was starting to realize that I was like pretty out of touch with, <laughs> with the dating scene <laughs> and had kind of run dry in terms of rom-com ideas. Um, and I had this idea for a thriller, um, which ended up being free fall. And I, it all started because I, I read this article about this 14 year old girl who survived this, um, like small single engine plane crash in, I think it was Washington state. And she was the lone survivor. And I just became completely obsessed with that story and with the idea that somebody could survive like a trauma like that. And she ended up walking for like two days and two nights until she found safety. And And I think that I just became kind of really obsessed with that like idea of the will to live. And so I decided to try to write a thriller um, based on it. Um, and yeah, that's that's how I started writing thrillers under Jessica Berry. Yeah. So as you, <laughs> as you wrote free fall and don't turn around, which obviously are uh, differently paced and um, than a rom-com, were there any specific writing challenges that you had in, in specifically turning to the thriller genre? Yeah, it was a very steep learning curve um, because, I mean, writing rom-coms is like a very specific um, skill set. And I think that like I was not certainly like not the best at it, but people who do it really well, like there is, you know, you have to figure out like all these moments, like the kind of meet cute and the happy ending. And but, you know, most of it is about like the chemistry between the characters, whereas a thriller is about character for sure, but it's also so much about plot and getting that plot tight. And that was not something that I um, had really honed before. And it's still something that I really struggle with. And I mean, my poor agent, when I, when I first wrote Free Fall, I mean, that poor Felicity must have read four or five drafts in which she just kept coming back and saying, this is just a book about a woman being lost in the wilderness. Like you need a plot, you need a plot, you need a plot. And I was like, okay, how do I get one of these plots? And so really it was just a matter of writing and rewriting. And even now I'm working on something new now. And 
you know, I really wish that I was one of those those writers who was a very tight plotter and and went into it knowing exactly what the beats were and what the twists were and how the ending would work and all that stuff. Um, because I know a lot of really good thriller writers do that. Um, but I'm also heartened to know that a lot of really good thriller writers are more like me. Uh, we just fly by the seat of our pants and figure it out as we go <laughs> along. Um, which is what I, what I sadly now do is just a lot of rewriting and rewriting. Um, but yeah, the, that plotting element is definitely the thing that, um, is key. I think when you're writing a thriller. And, and what have, what have you done? Do you, do you end up, um, do you end up kind of developing the beats as you're going along and do you find yourself rewriting? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I start with a loose outline. Um, and what I really try to do is to get the characters down before I start. So I try to do a lot of work on that. Um, cause I find that that really helps if you know who your characters are when you start and you know what their voices sound like and what their history is, then it, it will help shape the book, even if you don't have a completely crystal idea of, of how the plot's going to work, they'll kind of lead you a little bit. Um, but yeah, I try to have a, an outline, but it inevitably changes as I write it. I mean, I literally today was, I've reached a kind of 50,000 mark with this new book. And I just, you know, had this realization that, you know, how I thought that the plot was going to go is not how the plot is going to go. And actually it's <laughs> tugging me in this direction and I was fighting it and then I was like, actually, okay, <laughs> I give up. I'll go with it. Um, and I know that that, you know, once I get to the end of it, there will be a couple of like pretty major rewrites that will happen. And I think that what I've learned, um, actually the most important thing I've learned is, to be comfortable with that and to not um, beat myself up too much about it and stress out too much about it. Like if it's not just to get the words out on the page and then I can figure them out later on. And I think that that is a really hard thing to, to learn when you're writing, because when you first set out, you know, the word count is so important, right? And like each word that you're putting on the page feels like such a, an accomplishment. And the idea that you have to, at some point, cut a bunch of those words and just throw them away is really like, I remember being really heartbroken, um, you know, the first few times I did it. And then you just realize that, it, you know, it's for the best. It's for the best to to be a little bit flexible and to roll with the punches and to be willing to get rid of the stuff that's not working because something better will come. Sure. So are there suspense and thriller authors that have inspired you along the way? Yeah. Um, Laura Lippman, I think is an absolute pro. I love her Tess Moynihan um, detective novels. And I also really like her um, standalone stuff too. I think that she's so good at, um, building character and plotting. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll read anything that she writes. And um, the same is true with Dennis Lehane. Uh, if I'm ever feeling like uninspired or stuck, then I'll dip into Mystic River because uh, I think it's just an absolute masterpiece of how to do, um, how to create a real three-dimensional world um, and how to build suspense through character. 
Um, so he's another one that I always turn to. Um, I also really like Megan Abbott. I think that she's very good at the kind of like bristly teenage girlhood um, thing and the kind of, you know, sort of nest, <laughs> sort of nest of female friendship that happens when you're a teenager. Um, so just another one. And, you know, I think as everybody, um, Gillian Flynn, I think is just, a, she's like the gold standard um, sure. for sure. Yeah. Sharp Objects is just like a, the fact that it's her debut just continues to uh, amaze and frankly upset me. <laughs> <laughs> so given your experience um, writing these these two best-selling uh, suspense and thriller novels, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? I think that the key really is just to like sit your butt in the chair and do it. Um, there's really not like a, a big secret. I don't think beyond that. I think that writing is um, hard, you know, and having that discipline to like sit down in front of the blank page um, and wait it out really is um, it's difficult, but it's the only way to, to get it done. And, and to try to, I found that it's been helpful to set myself targets. So I will say um, that I need to write like a thousand words a day. And then I know that that's what I have to do. And sometimes that thousand words takes like an hour. Sometimes it takes four hours. Sometimes it takes eight hours. But as long as I know that every day, that's the amount of words that I need to get on the page to move on, then it gives me something concrete, I think, to build on. Um, and so I'd say that that like having some concrete goals and being disciplined about setting time aside and knowing that when you sit down in the chair, like, nothing, nothing might happen for a while. You know, it might be that you're staring at that blank page for 20, 30 minutes, an hour, who knows. But if you stick there and let your, let your brain do the work, something will come out at some point and, and you just have to hold on for that. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, I am currently reading um, Janelle Brown's Watch Me Disappear, which I'm really liking. Um, and then I'm also reading a memoir by this um, chef called, I think it's Ileana Reagan. And the, the book's called Burn the Place. And it's really great. She grew up um, in, I think, I say it was Illinois. And it's just like all about her childhood and her um, love of food. And yeah, she's a beautiful writer, really like crisp and clean sentences, but very evocative. Um, So yeah, I'm enjoying both of those books at the minute. Those sound great. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Well, I am theoretically on Twitter, but I am very bad, very bad tweeter. <laughs> I find the whole like Twitter atmosphere mildly terrifying and I'm not very good at like a one line 
quip, which is unfortunately <laughs> not my thing. But I am on Twitter. So um, it's on Jessica Berry Author. So you can find me there. And I'm much more active on Instagram, um, which is Jessica Berry 9. Um, nine, because I guess there were eight Jessica Berries before me. So <laughs> I'm number nine. Um, but I'm a lot more active on that. And I've actually really loved um, getting involved in like the bookstagram community. It's like a really lovely, supportive group of people who just, you know, seem to genuinely love books and love talking about them. Um, so that's been really nice to, to find my, my sort of tribe there. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Jessica Berry, author of the new novel, Don't Turn Around. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Jessica, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Don't Turn Around by Jessica Berry, narrated by Sarah Zimmerman, published by Harper Audio and available wherever audiobooks are sold. Kate kept the engine running. She'd had the Jeep since college, bought it used the summer before her freshman year with the proceeds of hundreds of hours working retail at Richland Mall. And sometimes it acted up. Normally, she didn't mind. She relished popping the hood and peering underneath, knowing more times than not that she would be able to fix the problem. Her father had her out in the garage from the time she was six. But at this particular moment, there was no way in hell she would risk the engine stalling. Outside, there was a glitter of frost on the lawn. The house wasn't what she was used to, though by now she knew that she should expect anything. Usually the places were cramped and run down, cinder block apartment buildings or chipped stucco bungalows, in neighborhoods where she wouldn't want to linger after dark. There was one place about a month ago on the outskirts of Abilene that was tucked behind the railroad tracks on Route 20. She drove straight past it the first time, despite the number 22 painted clearly on the side of the mailbox. No way someone lived there, she figured. It wasn't much more than a shack, and it looked abandoned. The windows boarded up, a rusted-out pickup truck squatting outside, tires long gone. She followed the road another quarter mile, watching for the house, but there was nothing but empty farmland. She double-checked the address. It was right, though she'd known that already. They didn't make mistakes about things like that back at the office. So she turned around and parked outside the shack, and sure enough, a girl who didn't look a day over 18 ran out from behind the house and climbed silently into the jeep. Kate could still picture the girl's nervous smile, the long, shining braid that fell down her back, the half-moons of dirt nestled beneath her fingernails. But this place was different, a McMansion in a modern development, complete with a two-car garage and a light-up reindeer on the lawn. One of the tasteful ones, made of wire and tiny white lights, not the inflatable kind her parents used to stick on top of their house back in Waco. Two sagging reindeer pulling a bloated Santa across the roof. The house itself was built of red brick and topped with a series of peaked roofs. And there was a small paved path curving up to the imposing front door. Property was cheaper here than in Austin. Most places were cheap compared to Austin, 
but this was definitely the house of someone who wasn't shy with a few bucks. It threw her off a little, this house. Kate scanned the street for any sign of movement. The windows on the houses were squeezed shut, and the only light came from the pretty street lamps that lined the sidewalk. A child's red tricycle lay in a driveway, forgotten until tomorrow. She pictured a plump-cheeked toddler riding up and down the sidewalk, legs pumping, little fingers clutching the handlebars, wind rushing past as she sped up, shrieking with joy or terror, or maybe both. The road had emptied out pretty quickly once she was out of Austin's sprawl, and soon it was just her and a few fellow travelers driving along the long, flat, endless road. The view didn't change much, just empty plains stretching out as far as she could see, briefly interrupted by the green of watered lawns and neatly plotted houses that signaled a town. Eight hours later, and here she was, waiting. She shifted in her seat, scratched an itch, stifled a yawn. She'd need to get coffee once they were on the road. She didn't want to stop until they were clear of the city. She checked the clock on the dashboard. 12.10. Pickup had been at midnight, but she'd gotten there a few minutes early, just in case. She'd been waiting for a while now. It happened sometimes. People got nervous, had second thoughts. If they changed their minds, they were meant to give her a signal. Flick the lights three times quick, and she'd know they weren't coming. Two flicks meant there was trouble and she should call the police. So far that night, there'd been nothing. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.